Welcome to Slaking Thirst, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. Well, this is really unexpected, but really hoped for. So this is great. It's good to see all of you here. Um, For those of you who are visiting St. Basil the Great, let me be the first one to say you are most welcome here anytime. Welcome to St. Basil the Great. For those of you who have no idea who I am and a friend or family member or neighbor or whatever brought you here, I'm Father Ryan Mann. I'm what's called the parish administrator, all right? Uh, The people here at St. Basil's are experts on this term. It just means the diocese doesn't yet trust me to be pastor, all right? But one day soon, if I keep my nose clean and I know the right people, uh, but we're getting there. Also, I see uh, friends and family from previous places, so thank you for being here. And a special shout out to our Life Teen Youth Group. Good to see each of you as well. So when you do something like this, starting is always the hardest, right? Some guys who are like national speakers, they come in with a really good story right away, and before you know it, you're just off to the races. And I don't really have that type of start. So uh, what I have, though, is I want to begin with a quote from St. Mother Teresa. And when I put quotes up, I'll just read them, and you can read them along and things like this. But this is from a letter she wrote called the Varanasi Letter. She said, I worry some of you still have not really met Jesus one-to-one. We may spend time in the chapel, but have you seen how he looks at you with love? Do you really know the living Jesus? Not from books, but from being with him. So this is a little audience participation. This is called the Varanasi letter. Raise your hand if you think you know who she wrote this to. Who did she write it to? We're not up front, Vicki. I see you. Yeah. Yeah, so this is the amazing thing, right? So those of you who don't know Mother Teresa that well, she started an order that serves the poorest of the poor. So let's be honest together for the next three nights. Let's not make ourselves sound really holy. All right, let's just be very real. She's serving the grossest people. All right, worms growing in and out of their skin, maggots covered in feces and vomit, ribs sticking out from poverty, living in the streets. She starts an order to serve them. All right, so they're all over the world, and this means that these nuns wake up at around 4.30 to 5 in the morning. They own two pieces of garments. They're both cards called saris. You can see what it is. It's the traditional Indian garb, and they own one bucket to wash the sari they're not wearing in. That's it. They live on mats on the floor. They fast. They do holy hours every day. And then they serve the poorest of the poor. Food, hold their hands while they're dying. This is not easy work. She had all the heads of all of her communities worldwide meet in Varanasi. She wrote this letter to them who've been in this order for 10 and 20 years, living poverty, holy hours every day, reading scripture, serving the poorest of the poor, people you and I would feel like spiritual midgets around, right? And we, she says to them, I'm, I'm worried some of you have not really met the living Jesus. So she writes this to them, and then you start thinking about us who think, well, I know Jesus. Then you go, well, I, uh, <laughs> do I? Do who? 
And then some of you uh, very generously think, well, I'm sure, like, priests, you guys know Jesus. And then you see the news and you realize, oops. Right, we're going to be honest the next three days together. And we think, oh, it's not automatic. You mean just because you're a professional religious person, you don't know Jesus automatically. We can talk about him. I know when I've had people in my office before where I'm saying all the right words, and they're like, oh, wow. And I'm like, I know, right? <laughs> and my heart is like, I hope I get done with this appointment in time to watch Law & Order SVU. So I do really know Jesus because St. Mother Teresa was concerned that some of the most committed women and men in the whole world might not have known him. So why is it important to know him? Well, Pope Benedict comes to the rescue here. Pope Benedict was the Pope before Pope Francis, and he says this, being a Christian is not the result of an ethical choice or a lofty idea, but the encounter with an event, a person. So we go around calling ourselves Christians, but a lot of us haven't met the person of Jesus by which you become a Christian. And when we don't know him, when we haven't met him, when we don't know if we meet him often enough, but we feel pressured to be Christian still in certain circles, what we do is we run to these extremes. We rally around values and ethics. And so we choose the litmus test of values and ethics that if you're on my team, you're in if you believe these. And we yell and scream and beat our chest about these ethics. But that doesn't make you a Christian. Or maybe you're a little more of the logical type, a little more rational. You read, you're kind of smart, right? You read all these books and you're quoting authors. You're able to logically say, well, these are the proofs of God and this is why the proofs of the resurrection. This is how we know Jesus is real. Look at all these things. And it's excellent. Being ethical is good. The opposite's bad. <laughs> being insightful and smart and being able to explain the faith is really good. It gives you confidence. But Pope Benedict, who some argued was the most cultured and educated man in all of Europe, says what makes you a Christian is an encounter with Jesus Christ. And what's amazing about this, right, is the encounters with Jesus is what makes Christianity worthwhile at all. Right? Think about in the Gospels. All the Gospels are are capturings of encounters with Jesus. So you got a blind man. He meets Jesus. Now he can see. He never saw a sunrise before. Now when he sees a sunrise, he can't help but have gratitude towards Jesus Christ. Or how about Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus was a corrupt businessman. He stole money from everyone. He had the sweetest Porsche, the nicest Armani suits, the newest iPhone. He was crushing it. But at everyone else's expense. And he never imagined that the God-made man, Jesus, would look at him and say, Zacchaeus, tonight I must spend the night at your house. Meaning, I want to spend time with you. And the love radiating for Jesus, that encounter moved Zacchaeus to say, anything I have stolen, I will give back, and anything left over, I'll give to the poor. Right? What generated the proper ethics was not him being yelled at, shamed, or scolded. It was this encounter with Jesus that transformed him. 
Or how about the woman caught in the very act of adultery? If you're going to meet Jesus, you probably don't want to meet him then. Like if we listed a top three times not to meet him, right? Maybe the night you turn 21, uh, and then this would be kind of up there. But that's when she meets him. She's got no rationalizations, no defense. She's exposed in her brokenness, and everyone there wanted to be unforgiving, condemning, and reduce her to her sin, except for one man in her life named Jesus. And he encounters her, and the forgiveness transforms her. So much so that now he can see the light in her eyes returning and say, now go and sin no more. Meaning now that you've encountered me, follow the life in you that I'm generating. And what is that life? Joy, peace, freedom, confidence, hope. All of these are the mark of someone who's met Jesus Christ. So here's a question. Where do we meet Jesus? If he was alive in the first century and people could see him in a human form just like I am, where do we encounter him now? Since we have to encounter him to experience the life-giving energy, if you will, or life-giving spirit that comes from him, where do we encounter him in the 21st century? Anyone? We can open it up here for a little fun. So, Eucharist, good. Great, great. Where else? Anyone else? Where else do you encounter Jesus Christ? Where can we encounter him? All the sacraments? Good. Yeah, let's throw them all in there. Anyone else? Prayer, right, good. Praying, scripture, good, good. Here's where this whole parish mission came from. For the last 2,000 years, really, but especially in America, in the last 70 years, we've had more scripture studies offered to the people in the pews than any other time in our lives. In the last 50 to 70 years, we've had more sacraments offered at churches and parishes than any other time in American history because of how many churches have been built. We currently have more education programs offered for all of you online or books you can get than any other time in Christian history. And the average person, Mother Teresa is still worried about. Meaning, sacraments, scripture, church teaching. These are all the ways we're meant to encounter Jesus. So what's missing? Let me put it this way. Eyes are for seeing colors and shapes. Ears are for hearing sound. Taste buds are for flavors. Nostrils in our nose are for odors. Right? Skin and touch is for texture. So what in us is meant to receive God? If those five senses help us encounter the world, what is it that helps us to encounter the living God? The catechism of the church helps us here. The heart. The heart is the dwelling place where I am, where I live. The heart is our hidden center beyond the grasp of reason and of others. It is the place of encounter. Pope Benedict says, to be a Christian, you have to encounter the person Jesus Christ. Mother Teresa says, I'm worried some of us have not really met him, encountered him. And the church says, where do we encounter him? The sacraments and the scriptures are the objective ways Christ breaks into our lives but he's meant to be received by our 
hearts. When I say heart, what I don't mean is Hallmark cards. What I don't mean is an overly emotional notion of this. Although our emotions are oftentimes the voice of our hearts, trying to get our attention and talk to us. But when we say heart, it's this hidden center. It's this place where you really are. And why is it so difficult for us to encounter Jesus there? Because we don't like being there. Right, the theme of this three-day mission is there ain't no cure for being human. Guess what? We always are trying to find a cure for being human because we think it's a problem. And God says it's very good. The reason it's hard to encounter Jesus in our hearts is because you and I, this is where we feel pain. I'm sure none of the guys in our life team, because all of you are very studly, but if you asked a girl to dance and she said no, where that sucks is called the heart. <laughs> now I started with you guys because there's guys who are like 60 years older than you still remembering the no from high school. <laughs> and they don't want to admit it but it still hurts. It still hurts because no one ever taught us how to welcome that part of us kindly. No one ever taught us would God have something to say to that place. Our hearts are where our unrealized dreams lay dormant in disappointment and quiet anger. Our hearts are also the place where when you see a sunrise, you almost crash the car when you're driving on 480 because we're used to the gray already. Our hearts are the part of us that make us want to cheer and shout with joy at great things, also want to break things when we're angry or sob. And most of our culture doesn't tell us how meaningful the heart is, that the Bible reveals that it's an amazingly important place, and it's the place by which we receive the living God, Jesus Christ. And so we tend to just say it's meaningless and we have to endure it. And anything that can help us escape it or feel like we're robots and in charge of it, we want that. But the truth is, the heart moves at its own pace. The heart has needs. And when Jesus saw human beings, he knew he was dealing with wounded hearts. One time Jesus says, if you want to know where murder, fornication, and adultery come from, it comes from your hearts. And when we hear that, we think, see, this is why I shut down my heart. This is why I don't want to deal. See, it's bad. It gets me in trouble. But what Jesus means is, don't be so obsessed with the external behaviors. Listen to what your heart's trying to tell you. What do you need? What are you looking for? Pay attention to the heart. Our hearts are not infallible, but they are indispensable. I did this because I wanted it. Well, you're not infallible. But we need to account for our hearts. Another time Jesus says, if you even look at a woman so as to look, after, look at her with lust, you've already committed adultery in your heart. And when I tell this line to college students, the college guys say, Father, the word pink is on her butt. Where am I supposed to look? so sisters help some brothers out okay 
But Jesus, even if, if you even look at a woman so as to lust after her, you've already committed adultery in your heart. Pope St. John Paul II says, these are not words of condemnation. They're invitation to transformation. What Jesus is saying is, I actually have the power to transform you from the inside out. That when you look at a woman, what you would see is exactly what God sees. An unrepeatable manifestation of his glory. I can actually help your heart to discover what Adam saw in the Garden of Eden. Jesus says, I have that kind of power. Another time he's speaking about the heart and he says, when my Holy Spirit comes upon you, there will be life-giving waters pouring forth out of you. See, the heart isn't bad. It can be the vehicle of actually the love and life of God pouring forth from someone. But in our world, our hearts are so beaten up. They're so wounded and hurting. We have longings and dreams. We don't know what to do with them. I remember when I was in the seminary, I used to pray a lot, and my prayers usually were about if someone needed help because they're going to the hospital, so pray for health. Or I would pray for the church that we would be able to convert the nations. Or I would pray for knowledge so I could give good talks when I went and gave talks. None of those are bad prayers. They were earnest. But see, I wasn't in touch with the fact that I was really struggling. I suffered from an immense amount of self-contempt and anger over sins in my life. I was still hurting from so many things in my story that I hadn't processed yet. And so Jesus was looking at me suffering, my heart crying out for love, and then hearing me say, you know, if you could help me understand Aquinas for tomorrow's youth group talk, I'd be grateful. And he's like, what are you doing? But see, I had no one to show me how to do this. I had no one that showed me that the heart is what God wants, that the heart is where he's after, and that that's how I can actually encounter the living God and experience joy, peace, and transformation. That Jesus can redeem our life. He doesn't want to delete the wounds in our lives. He wants to redeem them. See, I wasn't in touch with those longings for life to the full, joy, meaning, friendship, adventure. And when we're not in touch with our longings, how can Jesus be our fulfillment? Right? God sets up the whole universe that all 8 billion people are going to find like mind-blowing experiences of joy and happiness in union with Jesus but when we're not in touch with our longings, how can be our fulfillment? If we're not hungry, why is food good news? If you're not thirsty, why is water good news? We have to be in touch with our hearts in order to experience Jesus as the life-giving good news that he is. I remember I was journeying with a guy early on in my priesthood. And we were just talking and hanging out. And uh, I said, you know, I want you to imagine that Jesus came up to you right now and said, How's it going? You know, what would you say? He's like, well, I'd say things are going pretty good. And, uh, you know, of course, Father, I'd say thank you to him and uh, stuff like that. I'm like, good answers. Great. If there was a nun here, she'd give you an A plus, I'm sure. Very proud of you. Okay. I said, let's imagine Jesus says, hey, it's really good. How you doing? Really? I said, what would you say then? He paused and he said, hmm. He said, well, I guess I would say, you know, I'd like a little more patience with my wife and uh, 
If you could help my kids out, I think they're struggling a little in school. I, I would appreciate that. I said, well, that's a great prayer. Asking Jesus for help, that's wonderful. A good testimony to your humility and your faith. Wonderful. I said, but let's imagine now Jesus looks at you and says, hey, I, I know you. How's it going? What would you say then? And his lips started quivering, right? And he said, let me get this right. I'm scared because I don't know if I'm good and I don't know if I'm doing the right things with my life. Welcome to prayer. Welcome to being a disciple. Now you're in your heart. Now you can be encountered by Jesus. And now Mother Teresa never has to worry about you. See, that was already in him, those fears. Those insecurities were there. I didn't put them there. He didn't come up with them on this. They were there. And he has spent so much time avoiding that place that he's even used religion to avoid it. What's another reason why we don't go into our hearts? That gentleman didn't know that you could slow down and actually be that vulnerable. Why did, one, why did someone else do it? Well, sometimes what comes out of our hearts is so twisted and weird and gross and embarrassing, we just don't want to talk about that. And we think, boy, if the person sitting next to me in this pew knew what goes through my mind, they would not pick this pew. <laughs> but see, it's because our hearts, they're not bad, they're just young. They're immature. They're hurt. And so things come out a little twisted. But even the twisted things reveal our hearts and what we're looking for. But see, when we hear a twisted thing come out of our inner world, our heart, we go, no, bad. And then we put on our favorite mask. I'll be funny guy. I'll be smart guy. I'll be religious girl. I'll be whatever. I'll do what? I'll be helper. Just so you don't see what's going on there because it's crazy. I was in the seminary, and this woman I know, she was newly married, had a kid. The marriage wasn't bad, but it was stressful. And having a kid, she left the professional world to stay at home. And so the whole dynamics of leaving feeling productive every day to now be at home and do baby talk to someone who can't even talk back, uh, that was hard on her. Plus a husband who now was working more hours because they needed salary to account for the lack of pay. So all the real human dynamics in a young married life, right? So we meet up at uh, the place that every priest gets asked to meet at, which was Starbucks. <clears throat> and uh, which, disclaimer, this is now month 13 I've gone without Starbucks. No. That might be the most impressive thing in the next three nights, just to let you know. So, that gets the applause. Great, yeah. So I go everywhere else, constantly. Okay, so this woman meets up with me and she says, Father, I, I just have all these bad thoughts. And I just can't get rid of them. And I'm entertaining them. And I said, uh, and I was a seminarian at the time, so she didn't call me father. She said, Ryan. I said, well, like when you say bad thoughts, do you mean like murder? Or do you mean like lust? Like, do you mean you're jealous of someone? Like, what are bad thoughts for you? Because everyone experiences their inner life with different delicacies and responses. She says, I just can't do it anymore. I'm thinking about leaving. I said, oh, you're just going to take your kid and leave? It's that hard, huh? She goes, no, 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 no. I'm leaving the kid with the husband, and I want out. And she was pretty serious. And I thought, wow, here's someone who's really in pain, that she's going to leave her newborn child and, kid and husband behind. 
So I just said, you know, I said, All right, how quickly after you leave would you start feeling like the world's worst woman? She's like, probably like a day. So, right, so now hear this woman's heart. She's in such a tough situation, she's thinking about abandoning those she loves the most, but then the idea of leaving feels so shame-ridden that now she's enslaved and stuck and all the more angry at herself for having these desires and resentful at her family for the situation she's in. Right? And then she comes to Mass every Sunday and we're like, glory to God in the highest. And she's like, this is not, what am I doing with my life? So I asked her, I said, like, what would leaving do for you? She paused and she goes, well, I guess I would have some freedom. I would feel like maybe some peace. I said, there you go. I said, peace and freedom are holy things to want. Those are really good things. Now your heart is in pain and it's young and immature, so it doesn't know how to actually receive those according to God's plan. And so it comes out all twisted, but your heart was at least speaking to you and she was at least listening to it and bringing it into the light. She wasn't trying to handle her inner world on her own. She was bringing it to someone. She was bringing it to God. I know she was a woman of prayer, but then she also brought it to me. Our hearts aren't bad. They're broken. And parts of them are still very, very young. They haven't received the nurture and care to grow. But they're not bad. They're never bad. So I want to pause for a minute with you and have a time of prayer together. So kind of like I did with that gentleman, I'd like to walk you through an encounter with Jesus. Now, for some of you, when you're around a lot of people, it's hard to pray. So if that's you, that's okay. You can just kind of sit there and just have your eyes closed and enjoy a few moments just to yourself and maybe with God. But I invite the rest of you, if you're able to, to just receive and just allow the Holy Spirit to move you. So I'm just going to call upon the Holy Spirit and then we'll do a little meditation. Holy Spirit, come. Come, Holy Spirit, upon the group of the body of Christ of the 21st century. Each unique, unrepeatable image of God in this room. Come with your gift of prayer. So I want you to imagine that Jesus walks into the church tonight and you can see him walk in. Just keep your eyes closed. Use your imagination. Have fun with it. And this is a man who is so at peace with who he is because he knows who he is in the Father's eyes. He is validated and free. So he walks in with all the joy and freedom of someone who knows that they are good and loved and a gift. As you see him walk in, he connects eyes with just you. And you see his eyebrows kind of go up in a half smile. He's delighted to see you here. And he starts making his way down the aisles and then he steps over some people in the pews because he wants to sit right next to you. And as he sits right next to you, his arm kind of goes behind the pew behind you and he kind of looks right after you. He squares his body up towards you and you can just feel the strength and tenderness all at once. And you just hear his voice say, how are you doing? How are you doing? 
let that question illuminate and elicit things and just notice what's coming up for you. Notice what's awakening in you as he says, how are you doing? And in the silence of your heart, let him see everything coming up. You don't have to edit it. Your heart's not bad. Go ahead and share that with him. If you're trying this meditation, it feels like nothing's happening. Tell him about the nothing and what you feel about nothing happening. Jesus responds and he kind of nods his head and he looks off into the distance and then very slowly draws his eyes back to you. He can see you. There's no hiding. He knew you when you were a little baby. He knows you now. And he says, hey, I kind of know you really well and I love you a lot. How are things going? Two years of a pandemic, crazy elections, everyone's claiming everything's falling apart. No one knows. There's hope one day, despair next. Just came off of Thanksgiving. You're in Advent. And he says, like, how are you doing? You can tell me. And just let all that comes up be seen by him. Feel free to share it with him in the silence of your heart. You don't have to make it beautiful. You don't have to make it meaningful. And it can be amazing. You could be doing great. Just share with him your heart. As you share with him, I want you to Gently become aware of how he seems towards you. Delighted, tender, loving, really attentive. Can you taste his sorrow for you? Is he sad that things have been hard for you? Is he proud of you? Absorb your God with you. Amen. All right, you can open your eyes and come back and Pretty amazing. About 400 people here tonight, if not more. Total silence with the living God. It's a beautiful thing. This, not the loud noise of TV or news or politicians, makes culture. Human hearts, quieted, receiving from Jesus, transforms the world. So how does Jesus respond to our hearts? Very kindly. Always with kindness. The Gospel of Luke puts it this way. It's one of my favorite passages. In the tender compassion of our God, 
The dawn from on high shall break upon us to shine on those who dwell in darkness and the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the way of peace. It's the Gospel of Luke. I'll say it one more time. This is God's revelation on how he treats us. In the violent impatience of God. No, in the tender compassion of our God. The dawn from on high shall break upon us to shine on those who dwell in darkness and the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the way of peace. I don't know about you, but that's a reality I want to just swim in all day long. Like I want to, if that was like a sandwich, I would just be eating it with grease coming down everywhere. Like I want all of that in me, around me, on me. I just want to be saturated with that. Because when that is around me, I can share anything. Fig leaves can fall. And as the early church says, prayer is nothing but getting naked before God. Meaning we come out of our hiding. We let him see our hearts. Kindness is powerful. It's not weakness for Jesus to be kind. It's amazingly transformative. I asked this gentleman the other day if I could tell the story. He said, absolutely. So it was outside of confession. And then I asked him if I could tell it. He said, yes. So he was a gangbanger for many, many years. And he's been in and out of prison the last 10. He just got out and he's at a rehab facility. And his parents know someone I know. And so they said, would you go and see him? I said, sure. And it's a mixed, mixed bag, right? Because I'm like, well, okay, yeah, I got, I got a mission going on. Okay, yeah, I'll go see you. And then you're like, and also the flip side of it is a preacher. Like, this is a cool person to see. You know what I mean? Like, you don't normally see gangbangers who are out of jail coming to St. Basil's every Sunday, right? So this is like a real powerful experience. So I'm like, all right. And I've known him for a while. So I said, okay, I haven't seen him. I knew he was in jail. I'll go see him. So I go to see him, and we'll call him Sam. And I said, hey, hey, Sam, and we're talking for a little bit. I said, like, what changed for you? Because the last time I saw you and hung out with you, you were so high, you didn't know what day it was, quite literally. And he's like, I can tell you. There was a bunch of little things. It wasn't just one big thing. But the major event that kind of solidified everything was he had gotten in a fight. And he then was high out of his mind again. I mean, you name the drug, it was probably in his system. And he was with his girlfriend, who's a really great girl. And he said, I had my hands around her neck, pinned up against the wall, trying to actively kill her. He said, and she reached out and brushed the blood off my forehead that was coming down. He's actively murdering her and her kindness to wipe the blood off his forehead. He said, I dropped her to the ground and fell down. He said, I cried for so many hours sobbing like you wouldn't believe. He said, I turned myself in. The judge was lenient, got me in a rehab program. I've been sober for five months. Kindness is not weak. Kindness, when meeting someone's brokenness, transforms the broken one because it reminds them who they are. You are not the sum of of your weaknesses and failures, Pope John Paul II says. You are the sum of the Father's love for you and your real capacity to imitate Jesus Christ.
Your mistakes and sins and weaknesses and failures, we suffer them. We carry them. We have to heal from them. They need redeemed, but they don't define you and me. So all these people I've been talking about, it's a lot of affliction, a lot of pain. That's one way to help us get in touch with our hearts. But there's another way, and there's a French philosopher who helps us. Her name is Simone Weil. Simone Weil says there are two things that pierce the human heart. One is beauty, the other is affliction. Now piercing here does not mean pain. Piercing here means we're so busy doing things outside of ourselves, right? We got homework, we got work, we got school, we got mortgages, we got retirement, we got bills to pay, we got cars to fix. All these things that keep us busy, beauty and affliction has a way of cutting through all of that and making us realize, oh, I have a whole life. I have a heart. I have desires and dreams. I have pain and wounds. Like, I matter. I have a life. And we've just talked a lot about the affliction, but beauty is something that gets us as well. Beauty, we tend to just brush by. Yeah, that was nice. Or sometimes like a beautiful commercial. I don't know about you, but you'll just be, I'm so glad Father Matt's in the back, but I'm so glad I'm usually watching TV when he's gone because I'll just cry in commercials like crazy. And if he was there, he'd just calmly go to his room and shut the door because he's so kind. But, uh, like, but what do you do with those moments? I know I'm not the only person that cries at commercials, right? You just think, well, that was stupid. <laughs> I was glad no one was around. <laughs> you were crying. Something was happening to you. It pierces us, and then we go, wow, whatever. What's with the wow, whatever? Do you see how mean that is? Our hearts are trying to speak, and we say things like, yeah, whatever. So to help you, I thought it's Christmas season, we'll play a commercial to help us get in touch with one of the, <laughs> one of the signs of beauty in this world. A little heavy-handed for a commercial. <laughs> it's so beautiful. Right? It just that this grandfather like sacrifices and struggles to be able to give his granddaughter a gift of a special moment. And there's so much love that touches our hearts. And, and it awakens things. Life no longer is just eh. When you encounter beauty, things come alive. But do we pay attention to it? Do we take these moments seriously? Because one of the names of God is beauty. Which means when you encounter something authentically beautiful like this, you're encountering something of God. Advertisers know it better than we do. And because of that, they can manipulate us. But what if we begin to realize God all along has been using beauty in your life in a unique way for each one of you to awaken your heart, to get you in touch with that longing of, I want to be like a three-year-old girl and I want to be a grandpa all at once. <laughs> like, and I kind of wanted to yell at the neighbor who kept giving the na nasty look, like, you don't even get it, lady. In the last three days, I've watched this about 50 times. So. <laughs> what is that thing that's awakened? Pope St. John Paul II 
Oh, there's a first one. No, the previous one. Is it not a quote from John Paul? I forgot to give it to you. Good. Okay. So Pope John Paul II says, this restlessness that's awakened in us is the deepest part of our humanity. It's the most authentic part of being human. This restless, yearning, yearning, longing, and desire. And beauty puts us in touch with it. The Greeks had a name for it. For this longing, this place in you that woke up. It's called eros. It's where we get the English word erotic. Now careful, because in the English we kind of twist the meaning of the word eros. Because in Greek there was eros and there was porneia. Those were two different words. In English it kind of gets all twisted. Eros wasn't bad for the Greeks. It was just like a kid on sugar. It just was kind of wild and all over the place. But when educated, in Latin educated means to be raised up, when allowed to be taught and fathered, when it was taken by the hands of Christ and through mercy and truth, the heart was taught what actually satisfies, we began to realize even our hearts can be transformed. And we begin to want what really fulfills us. I don't know if you had this experience, but I remember in my life, what I really wanted was orange hostess cupcakes all the time. <laughs> what I really wanted. Right? Now, I actually have real longings for salads. Okay? What happened? Well, part of it is I grew up, but part of it realizes I know how I feel after orange hostess cupcakes. And I know how I feel after a salad. Right? You, you get experience, you reflect on your experience, and your heart says, no, that's not quite what I wanted. I wanted something else. And when we learn to listen to our hearts, and we open them up to Jesus, say, Jesus, what am I looking for here? He says, you are looking for infinite beauty. Because we don't want just one sunset. right? We want a sunset that's beautiful, never ends, and never gets old. We don't want just one good meal. We want to have the pleasure and fulfillment of that meal. We want endless fulfillment. Which means we're not looking for limited moments. We're looking for limitless. But the limitless shows up through the limited. We have no access to infinite one. He comes and joins us in this world and speaks through the finite things to catch our heart's attention. And then says, is this really what's going to satisfy? And you're like, partially, but I want way more. And he's like, yes, you do. And that's called prayer. Pope Benedict says, prayer is nothing but expressing our longings for God to God. In fact, Pope Benedict says this. We all need to set on the path of healing our desire. The pilgrimage of Eros is not then suffocating the longing that dwells in the heart of man, but about freeing it so that it can reach its true heights, infinite beauty and God. I want to tell a story that's a pretty painful one. Uh, 
to help you understand what desire looks like in someone's heart who goes through a lot of trauma. I'm trying to use these extremer examples so that I can shine light on some of our lesser stories. All right? And then I'm going to end with a video for the night. Okay. So there's a woman I journeyed with for a while, immensely courageous woman. Courageous because she had been abused in middle school. Drugs, carousing, abortion. Starts getting her life together. And then begins looking back at these things to say, I, I, I never really dealt with any of this. So, as circumstance would have it, they end up in my office. This is a while ago, like I said. And so, I'm not a counselor, I'm not a psychologist, but I'm a man of prayer. So I just pray with people. And we were praying and we just felt over the months and years working together that this person was drawn back to the event of the abuse. Now, they did not go there on their own. Remember the quote on the heart is that the heart is beyond reason. So if you try to dig into your heart by reason alone, you're going to hurt yourself. So you never go in without him. You never go in without him. You never go in without him. All right? I want to save you a lot of confusion, pain, and heartache. Never make the interior journey without the help of God. Okay. So this woman has been making this journey, and she's courageously saying yes to every prompting of God to look at, remember, and months and months of journeying together, and we get to the point where she's in my office and we're talking and she says something like, because yeah, we had our eyes closed, we're praying together and she's like, yeah, I'm, I'm there and it was just awful. And I said, what did you desire in that moment? What were the desires of this girl's heart who awful things were being done to her? And this, this woman, now older, looking back and in prayer, said, that girl desires to be seen as beautiful and to be loved. And it was so astonishingly transformative for this person and for me. Because in something that seemed all evil, there were still longings of God's plan. We're all created to be loved and to be seen as a gift. And that shows up in our heart's desires to be loved and to be seen as beautiful or strong or a gift. And that was still there after all these years, all this sin, all this brokenness, all this shame, all this regret. This woman could still identify with the embers of longing. And it began to, I don't even think she realized it at that moment, but it began to redeem this place in her. Because this memory was no longer evil one. No. God wins. And God's plan for each one of you in your hearts wins. He just asks that we cooperate. He does the main operating. He asks that we cooperate. Which is we don't brush back past these, mo these moments of beauty. We don't keep calling our hearts bad because of the pain. But we begin to open them up to Jesus. And we invite him there who's always kind so that he can begin to shine on our hearts and we can see ourselves as he sees us, which is always a gift from the Father. And so what I want to do is I want to play this movie clip. 
This is a clip from a movie in the 90s, okay, with John Travolta called Phenomenon. Raise your hand if you've seen it. All right, great. I'm going to give a really terrible short edition of it. So if you're a lover of the movie, don't be mad. I'm sorry. Something happens to John Travolta's character in the movie, and he's able to know things that he never knew, right? He becomes super brilliant. He's able to do things that he shouldn't be able to do. And he has a girlfriend at the time, a love interest, and the town starts really just like celebrating him and being in awe of him. But as time goes on, they start turning on him, criticizing him, mocking him. He doesn't want to play a role. What he wants is to be a person again. And time would have it, the girlfriend kind of backs away from him because he's going through such dark times. The town starts criticizing him. And this scene is his character at his lowest. Hasn't shaved, hasn't showered. He's alone in his room, full of shame, feeling abandoned, feeling like I got all these gifts and I don't want them because they've just made my life hard. And what you see is the scene where beauty shows up in his life. His girlfriend comes back. And I want you to notice how tenderly beauty personified in this woman ministers, if you will, to him in his need and transforms him through the tender compassion of God. And notice what happens in your heart as you're watching this. There is no wrong or bad response in your heart. And afterwards, we'll close with a prayer. I want you to close your eyes, if you'd be so kind. Just be aware of your heart. What did that scene awaken for you? Remember, it can be desire, it can be just peace and joy, it can be annoyance, it can be nervousness. Your hearts are not bad. They're always trying to tell you something. I just want you to share with Jesus now what was happening for you while that clip was going on. Tell him the feelings, the desires, the whole movements inside of you that were happening. I invite you once again not to edit, minimize, maximize. You're allowed to be vulnerable. He is kind. And take this moment to dialogue your heart with Jesus. Father, I love you so much. You are so good. You have planned for us to have the fullness of life pouring out of our own hearts. But Lord, we need so much healing. We need your love to pour down on us like healing rain to touch us, to soak into our hearts. And that rain comes to us through the sacraments and the scriptures and the church teaching but so often, Lord, we let it just sit on our bodily ears. We never let it touch our hearts. 
Give us the grace to bring our hearts to you. Give us the grace to allow the doctor, Jesus, the healing physician to touch us and restore us.